Welcome to the Bethany Community Church Sermon Podcast. Today's message is titled, A Beauty Opportunity, and it is part of the Impossible Sermon Series. This ministry is intended to inspire you and help bring solutions to the challenges of life. For more information about other ministries here at Bethany Community Church, check us out on our website at bccma.org or send us an email at office at bccma.org. And now, here's Pastor Phil McCutcheon. Okay, let's get into the Word this morning. Last week we talked about engaging with the impossible. And it's about the Christmas story. We all know it was impossible for God to come in the form of a man. For God to come via a vir- the virgin birth. For, God to, for Jesus to come and manifest God before us and take our sins on himself. So we talked, we, we made that impersonal, we made that personal with you. We tried, tried to bring it down to your life. And we talked about how engaging with the impossible is never convenient. It's never convenient to engage, to wrestle with the impossible, to, to deal, to dance with the difficult, and to rumble with that which is hard. It's never the right time, is it? Which said that engaging with the impossible is always clear, though. Uncomplicated and simple. What God wants you to do to engage with the impossible, sometimes it's as simple as saying, I'm sorry, please forgive me. It's sometimes it's simply uh, as easy as telling someone the truth. It's that simple. Maybe not easy is the wrong word, but it's simple and clear. And finally, we said if you will engage with the impossible, it will do two things. It will prove your human potential and God's omnipotence. And we talked about how cool that was, that God has created this partnership that proves our greatness and his greatness at the same time. Naturally, they're not on the same level, and his greatness is so much greater than ours. But God doesn't sacrifice our self-worth for his matchless worth. We have both. Following Christ, we have both. We have, we, part of the reason he allows us to be engaged in the struggle and part of the reason that he invites us to partner with him rather than just doing everything for us, part of the reason he set it up that way in Genesis. This is all based on the Genesis covenant that God can't go back on his word. The Genesis covenant said that we have dominion over the earth. So God would have to go back on his word to come and save us in a way that didn't involve us. God would have to be a liar to save us in a way that took all responsibility away from us. And, of course, we would all like that now. You know, I'm like that, too. When I make a mess, I want someone just to come and clean it up, someone else to come and clean it up. But God knows that's really bad for me, and that's that's not the covenant, that's not the human covenant that he's called me to live by, that I get to go around making up messes and have you clean them up. That's not the covenant. That's not the human contract. That's not the divine contract. So God says, okay, I'm going to save mankind But the way I'm going to save mankind is, first of all, I am going to become a man. And then then I'm going to raise them up to rule and reign with me. And we are going to save the world. That's why we do good works. That's why we have Compassion New England. That's why we have the happy place. That's why we do what we do in our city and in our community and in our area. Because we believe we're in a partnership with God to save the world. Amen? It's fun, isn't it? A lot better than destroying it. Okay, 
So today, I want to talk to you, I want to move the conversation down the road a little bit, and talk to you how ugly impossibility is an attractive beauty opportunity. That God's way of dealing with ugly, evil, wickedness is to bring beautiful, righteous beauty. And the scripture, I'm going to use two scriptures for a foundation for this today. And how many of you believe that the world we live in right now could really use some beauty? It could really use some beautifully, beautiful acting people. It could really use some beautiful conversation, some beautiful voices, some beautiful messages. It could really use that right now more than ever before. And we have this opportunity with the, with, to contrast. One thing, that cre- one, one thing that creates beauty is contrast. That's one thing that creates beauty. One thing that highlights beauty is contrast. And so we, where, grace does, where sin doth abound, grace is much more abound. That's how it works. So let's read the scripture. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. In the past, God spoke through your forefathers. And in various ways, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he's appointed heir of all things, and through him he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory. Now, we don't see the word beauty in this scripture, but that describes beauty. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he provided purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Look at all the words that speak of beauty. Now, I want to jump back in the Old Testament right now to Psalms chapter 27, verse 3. And if you want to really appreciate this text, go read the other verses before it even. But I'm just going to take a couple of, uh, extract a couple of verses out of Psalms 27. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though a war break out against me, even then I will be confident. One thing I ask the Lord, now notice what he contrasts this oppression, this negativity, this attack he doesn't, he doesn't contrast it with, with being a bigger beast, being ugly back, being aggressive back. He contrasts it with the word I'm speaking about today. One thing I ask of the Lord, and that is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. So, when caught in the grip of ugliness, you need to observe that which moves you, which transports you out of that sorry state. I go back, uh, it's easy to know how long it was because Elise is uh, 17, soon be 18. So, nearly 18 years ago, I was not in a good place spiritually and emotionally. If you were going to church here at the time, you didn't know that, probably. Some of you did. Those of you who are close to me, you heard it. Uh, we had gone through some challenging times as a church. And I, know, I remember that getting into my preaching, some of those stories. And uh, I was not in a good place. Uh, my heart had gotten a little cold and a little hard. And I remember two events that happened involving my children. And one was Elise, 
and the other was Jason. I can't remember exactly the time frames of the two things. Maybe one happened before the other. I don't remember exactly. I'm sure uh, my wife remembers and Jay, some, you know, they remember. And they'll probably shout it out while I'm talking. I didn't go over this with them before I, the sermon. And uh, anyway, uh, I remember one, and one thing that happened. I remember uh, when Elise was born and she was taken by cesarean and uh, because of the way it happened, Sherry was at a doctor's visit and, and, and began to go into labor. And because Sherry had had a pituitary tumor, she was, the doctor did not want her to, to push. And because of the fear that she, the, the, the place where the tumor had been, it might uh, cause pressure on the brain and might cause blindness. So they took the baby, they took Elise right away before I could get to the hospital. So I got there, she was already out. And she was laying on a a table across the room from Sherry. And I went in the room and I remember looking down at her. And she was making cooing noises. She was happy. You know, she wasn't crying. She wasn't screaming. She wasn't upset. She just seemed so content. And that that was one event that hit my heart. That softened me. Because I'd gotten angry, I'd gotten angry at some people, <laughs> and uh, I'd, I'd gotten hurt at some people, and I was floundering a bit spiritually, not sure what the next move was. That was one thing that God used, and, and that even bringing Elise home, and, and uh, I, I, I had the honor, a privilege of being with Elise a lot, and it wasn't like when back Years ago, and Jay and Christy were born, and, and Sherry was really, really at home with the kids all the time. Sherry was busy, and, and, and I supported that, and it was great. So I, I did more care with Elise. And those were, God ordained that for my life, you know? Because I would sit with her, and I would pray, and I would sing. And, and it softened my heart. You see, God's way of helping us is not through information, but through inspiration. That's how God changes our lives, is through beauty. Another thing that happened during that time frame is uh, Jason had gone off to a program called Master's Commission up in, uh, in, in Chicago, near Chicago, Illinois, Rockford, Illinois, and some of our other young people have been to that same program. And, uh, you know, uh, the, the backstory of this is uh, Jason, I tried to talk to him a few times about his plans for the future and what he was going to do, and he was, he was, he had, he had really some really good talent in the area of, uh, of video and graphics and, and also music. And, and so I would talk to him. He, he got accepted at Emerson, but we, he and I remember one day he and I had to talk about it. And he didn't really have any aspirations that a, a, a degree from Emerson would help. You know, he didn't have any aspirations that that would help. And we, we just never, and this is, I'm not telling anybody else what to think. I know this can be a touchy subject about college, but we never thought that going and getting a degree when you didn't know really what you wanted to do with it was a good idea. It cost too much money that you really should have a plan before you go to college and just to go off to, you know, that used to be the way it was uh, 40 years ago. Was everybody went to college and if you had a college degree, you got a job. You know, so I'm not trying to argue with you that that's not the way it is anymore, but I don't think that's the way it is anymore. Uh, <laughs> so we... You know, we said, oh, you know, let's not do that until you really decide. Let's not, if you, that's what, if, if you have an aspiration, if you, if you want to go 
you know, make movies or work for ESPN or something like that. I remember saying that. Yeah, because yeah, you need the degree. They not, might not let you in the door if you don't have the degree to do that. He already knew how to do all the stuff they were going to teach him. So he goes to Rockford, and uh, the, the young people had got, I think they got to vote on who would speak at the retreat that year. And, and they, they wanted Jason to come and speak. And Jay had told me, I remember that day we talked, he said he wasn't going to be a preacher. That wasn't going to happen. And I find, you know, never, you know I, don't, I don't believe in daddy called mama sent preachers. You know, I don't believe in that. God needs to call people to this. So they asked Jay to speak. So I was really surprised. And I remember driving up to Lake Ossipee and sitting in the back row. And still my heart wasn't, I, like I said, I don't remember which happened first. But my heart was still like not where it ought to be with God. My relationship with God wasn't what it ought to be. It's tough to pastor when your heart's not right with God. <laughs> it's just not, it's, it's an occupational hazard. <laughs> you have to get out at some point, you know, if you're not going to get right with God. And uh, Jay gets up. First of all, I didn't think he was going to preach very good. I thought, this is not going to be very good. This is going to be embarrassing. <laughs> but he gets up and he really takes command of the room. He really took command of the room and he said, he had all the lights go down and the candles got lit all over the room. And he said, I'm going to talk about intimacy with God. And he gave this outstanding message on intimacy with God. And it really broke me up. And I thought about that as I was preparing for this sermon. I thought, you know, that's how God deals with us. That's how God loves us. Is through, show it, through, through moving us with things that we feel are beautiful. Once humans rejected the option of simply reveling in the beauty of the Garden of, of Eden, uh, you know, they, they rejected that. They rejected that simple beauty of having an unhindered relationship with God and being in the Garden. And then, you know, when God actually came and confronted them, they had their first marital fight. Adam blamed God for their vulnerable, devalued, and shamed position. <laughs> And the woman blamed the serpent and, and God for their vulnerable, devalued, and shamed position. And that spirit that, that came out of them, that ugly, all of a sudden Adam and Eve had this ugly spirit. Do you see that? And, and that ugly spirit of, of competition and scapegoating was picked up by their children. And their son Cain, you know, the, the, their, their son Cain, who was full of shame and blame, and that shame, blame, scapegoating pattern continued. It, because it was embedded in the human psyche and in the nature of culture. And he was so ugly that he killed his brother and the ugliness continued. Now, you fast forward to the Christmas story or the story of the incarnation, as we might call it. And you may wish, you, you may see God offering a final solution to that problem of a loud, hateful, blaming, shaming, ugly world by bringing his son, by bringing this baby, it's kind of like what happened to me. By, by a baby, by, by the, the beauty of my own children. See, the normal way of dealing with ugliness is, and we all know this because we all do this sometimes, right? Is we respond in kind. In the movie The Untouchables, Jimmy Ballone is telling Elliot Ness how to get rid of gangster Al Capone. And you all know this quote. He said, here's how to get him. He pulls a knife, you pull a gun. He sends one of yours to the hospital, you send one of yours to the morgue. 
That's the Chicago way. <laughs> that's not just the Chicago way. That's the human way. It's, the way. it's not the way of the gospel. When the human race turns ugly, God sends beauty. With, with God, beauty trumps ugliness. Pleasantness trumps awfulness. Splendor trumps unattractiveness. Beauty is the contrast. Fyodor Dostoevsky was not only a famous Russian novelist, he was also a Christian. At a very dark time in the history of Eastern Europe, and it was going to get darker. And uh, the world he lived in would mark the rise of the murderous regime and ugliness of Joseph Stalin. And to counteract that evil and that oppression that was growing around him, and he, Dostoevsky, could see what was happening to a culture that had given up on God. And, 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 and Nietzsche was a contemporary of Dostoevsky, and he was the one who pronounced that God was dead. Except that Dostoevsky had hope in his writings and in his novels. And there's this wonderful conversation in his novel, The Idiot, and it's a pathetic and revolting young man who's speaking here, who, whose name I don't dare try to pronounce. But he asks the central figure and the Christ figure in the story, because in Dostoevsky's novels, there was always Christ figures in these novels. And he asked this Christ figure, Prince Mishkin, he asked her this question, and you've probably heard it before. Is it true, Prince, that you once said it is beauty that will save the world. In fact, in one of Dostoevsky's novels, uh, uh, he actually has a Christ. A, he had Christ is in the novel, and and they they imprison Christ because they told him your perfection is too much of a burden for mankind. You you are so perfect; it is too much of a burden for mankind, and. And the, the inquisitor who is called, he is called puts Christ in prison and goes into prison to visit him and explains to Christ this. We have to imprison you for the rest of your life because you're too perfect. And, and, and your perfection creates a burden for mankind that's too much for us to bear. And he gets ready to leave the prison cell. And Jesus Christ walks over to the inquisitor, puts his arms around him and kisses him on the lips and he turns, stunned by what Christ has done, and leaves the door to the cell open. See? Christ's beauty. Christ's beauty is too much for us to handle. But it's real. I hope you can get it today. It, 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 C.S. Lewis said, and oh, I love this quote, It was when I was happiest that I longed most. The sweetest thing in all my life has been the longing to find the place where all the beauty came from. Isn't that a great quote? Nathaniel Lee says, "'Tis beauty calls and glory shows the way." So I'm trying to make the point today that God moves us with beauty, not commands and promises. God moves us with beauty, not commands and promises. We focus on God's commands. We focus on God's promises. We negotiate with God. We negotiate around the commands and promises. 
But God doesn't move us with commands and promises. He moves us with beauty. Let me read from a source that I don't even remember where I got this, but I want to read this to you. It's a, it's a bit lengthy, so bear with me. <clears throat> when Matthew and Luke begin their Gospels with the infancy narrative, they do not directly describe the beauty of Jesus in his mother's womb or after his birth. That he was beautiful in the womb is hinted at by the joyful exchanges between two pregnant mothers, Elizabeth and Mary in Luke 1, 39-56. The beauty of the Christ child likewise emerges indirectly through the joy of the shepherds who visit Bethlehem and go away glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. And through, though the impact of the child on the two old people in Jerusalem, Simeon and Anna, Luke chapter 2, verse 25 and 38, they have waited so long for this moment, they delight in the beautiful Christ child, and they can now die in peace, Matthew writes. The beauty of Christ to the Magi being overwhelmed with joy when they finally arrive at the goal of their journey and can present the newborn Jesus with their gifts. The angels in the nativity story also play their part in pointing to the beauty of the Christ. Our Christmas carols repeatedly pick up the wonder and joy of the angels over the birth of this unique and uniquely beautiful child. For the gospel writers, angels are themselves memorably beautiful, and the beauty of these heavenly visitors mirrors the beauty of the one who has just been born. The infancy narratives present the birth of Jesus in terms of the glory of God, which shines on the earth. They also speak of the star, the light from which, from which guides the magi to Bethlehem. You know, when Jesus walked the earth, when Jesus walked the earth, the message at the front and center of his message was not, believe in me. Read it for yourselves. Read the four Gospels. Jesus was not harping on, accept me, believe in me, or believe in me or else. Now, now that's in there. I'm not saying it's not in there. If you look at the Gospels closely, yes, believe in me is in there. Accept me is in there. There are consequences for not accepting me. Yes, that is in the fine print of the Gospel, clearly. But what's at the forefront of the gospel is not believe in me. What's at the forefront of the gospel is watch me. Listen to me. Let me show you something. See, neither friendship or romance starts with negotiations. You know, it doesn't start with negotiation. You don't... You don't ask someone out and, and start negotiating a relationship. You don't, you don't, you don't start negotiating. You know, you know how much money I make, you know? Do you, do you know, do you know the, the house I'm capable of buying? Do, do you understand that? No, uh, it doesn't mean that I, I know, you know, we're drawn to a look, a fragrance, a flirtatious glance. That's, that's what romance is built on. Uh, you don't, you don't share with the other person the chemical breakdown of your, of your DNA, and you might, nowadays they, they do that, so you may do that later, but they might not love your DNA, it's amazing. I love reading about it. Now I know the word sensuality is associated with lust, because S-E-N-S sounds a lot like S-I-N-S, I know that, but there's a holy sensuality that is of God. What I mean by that is that God doesn't just speak up, but he shows up with sounds, art, action, compassion, and character that leaves us 
with nothing better to say than that. Beautiful. The word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Now, now beauty is not always gonna be where you would expect it to be. Beauty is not gonna be always be, because beauty is not just pretty and cute. It's a lot deeper than that. Beauty is not just always pretty and cute. It's a whole lot deeper than that. Beauty is goodness and righteousness and light and purity. Beauty is really a deep thing. When I, when I watch the people at Bethany who gravitate to the Sunday morning happy place to serve kids with special needs and the kids with special needs themselves, when I see them come down to take the offering, I th- my heart goes, that's so beautiful. My heart sees beauty in that. When, when I see an email like I saw this week, and I know, it was, Susie, it was you that was writing to Craig, and Craig was sending, we, we have a beautiful ministry in this church called the Pastoral Care Team. And just like I love the Happy Place Team, I love the Pastoral Care Team, who go out ministering to people that are disconnected sometimes or people that are in pain, or people that are in suffering, and I watch what they do, and I think to myself, that is so beautiful. I, I read this, and I'm gonna read it to you now. It says, I went to visit Carol on Monday today. On Monday, she was cleaning house, winning four bingo games in a row. She's at a nursing home, by the way. Not a great way to make friends. I was happy she was out of her room, having fun taking a break from her roommate, Mary. I, don't, I, I guess we need to meet Mary. Today she was downstairs again as a singer had just left and she was on her way to the elevator. We talked and listened. Now this is the great part. We talked and listened to 24 minutes of Pastor Phil's sermon. I prayed and blessed her. Thank you, Susie. Way to go. That's beautiful. That's beauty. That's beauty. God wants us to be beautiful. God has brought beauty to the world. God, because God knows it's not commandments and negotiation for rewards that's going to transform our lives. It is beauty that's going to transform our lives. Secondly, the persistent cry of the human heart leads us to the beauty of the child Savior. This is an amazing thing. And one way you know something is true is it keeps showing up. And it shows up in art and culture. It shows up in novels. It shows up in movies. It shows up in what we go to for entertainment. It shows up in what we're attracted to. And it shows up in the story. And the story that we are so attracted to is the story of the child savior. Think of how many of our popular uh, movies and, and books and, and art and literature is based on the story of the child's savior. Where does this come from? Where does this come from in the human psyche? And why do we buy all those books and watch all those movies? Why do we, why do we love Harry Potter and, and Star Wars and Superman and Santa Claus? They're, they're all the same story. They're the story of a savior and in, and in three of the four that I just mentioned, there is a story of a child savior. J.K. Rowling was interviewed a while back by Oprah Winfrey. And in that interview, she acknowledged that the Harry Potter series had a deep and intentional connection to Christianity. 
I know Christians lost their minds about Harry Potter, but I, I was like, come on, people. Let's look at what the message, the message is the message of the gospel. You say, well, it has magic in it. Well, what's more magical than a man being born of a virgin and, ri and rising from the dead? Is that pretty magical? <laughs> and instead, certain Christians just attack J.K. Rowling, and, and it makes us look foolish. Open your eyes and see the beauty that's in the world. There's beauty in these stories. Harry Potter's a boy, right? His mother's name is Lily, which means purity. And, and, and his mother sacrifices herself for him. He's considered the chosen one. Dumbledore says to Harry, you have a power which the dark one knows not of, and that is you have the power to love. Consider that you've been through, consider what you've been through. Your choice is this amazing thing. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? The song that Elise sang a while ago was about that. L later, Harry would have a Garden of Gethsemane moment where he doesn't want to do what he's asked to do. And he chose to sacrifice himself. In instead of doing what he wanted to do, he has this Garden of Gethsemane moment. He chose to sacrifice himself to Voldemort to save us, to save the world. Where did that come from? Why do we like that story? Why do we buy all those books? Because it's the beauti most beautiful story that mankind has ever heard. It's the most beautiful story ever. It's, the, it's what Dostoevsky said in his novel, God will save the world through beauty. Then there's Star Wars. Luke Skywalker discovers his destiny to save what is controversy. I know this is controversy. Some of you are way more knowledgeable about Star Wars than I am. But I know it's controversy that Luke Skywalker's father is Darth Vader, but... Uh, uh, who was it, uh, 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 Jedi, uh, Yoda. Yoda said it one time, didn't he? As he was a dying Yoda in Return of the Jedi, said uh, that he was his father. And, and, and that, that is so consistent with the, with the gospel story. That's consistent with the gospel story. Because what does Jesus call the Son of Man? He's consistently called the Son of Man. So humans... The man, the human, is, is, is Christ's stepfather. And Christ comes and saves us from our father. Because our father is sinful. The Bible calls our spiritual father the, our old man of sin. Our old man of sin. And Luke Skywalker leaves the, that tranquil planet. I believe it's pronounced Tatooine. Tatooine. Did I say that right? He, he leaves that tranquil planet looking for something more challenging. And Jesus left heaven in order to look for something more challenging. And he's called the Son of Man. And he comes and he willingly, he willingly steps in and he gives his life. He gives his life to save, uh, to save his Father, to save our old natures from sin and make us new. He decided to sacrifice his life to redeem. He, he, was, told, he was told by Obi-Wan not to do it, not to, not to save him, not 
not, not, to, not to enter that fight and die, but he chose to enter that fight and die in order to save us from our, from, to save the planet. And, and, and all of that men and that story that has so many twists and turns that I can't even get into it, but it signifies a more beautiful story, and that's the story of Jesus Christ. This is amazing, and we need to understand it, and we need to realize that no matter how much the world says it's not true, they keep telling the story. No matter how much they're against it and they're cynical about it, they keep telling the story. And they'll do it again and again and again through the super, superhero stories and comic books and everything. They'll keep telling the story of the child savior who came to the world because it's so attractive and so beautiful. They can't stop. They can't take their eyes off of it. Then, of course, there's the most famous child story and the savior story, the one I grew up with, is the story of Superman who arrives on earth as a baby in some type of space capsule where he's adopted by human parents. Superman, like Jesus, chose to be unassuming and harmless. Clark Kent. Only revealing the S on his chest when people were in trouble. Also like Jesus, Superman chose to serve humans rather than set up an earthly kingdom. Stop fighting it. You want and need the beauty of the child. You want and you need it. Finally, how do you make that transition from admiring it to receiving it? Here's how you do it. Lean in to beauty and you will meet the Lord of the impossible. Lean into beauty and you will meet the Lord of the impossible. Now Matthew 5, 8 says, blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. Have you noticed that when you're trying to persuade someone about something, you go, see? Can't you see? That's the language you use. When we're frustrated that someone doesn't understand something, we go, can't you see? When we finally grasp something, we go, now I see. I see it so clearly now. I can't believe I couldn't see it before. Or I never saw it that way before. The pure in heart see God. What does that mean, the pure in heart see God? It doesn't mean sinless perfection. That's what a lot of people think pure in heart means. Pure in heart doesn't mean no no bad thoughts in your heart. It doesn't mean that. It, it, it doesn't mean nothing in your heart that is not as it should be. I'm, I've been doing this a long time. I'm still having to clean my heart up. <laughs> Pure in heart means wanting what is good. Wanting what is good for you and for everyone around you. Pure in heart is the ability to see and appreciate beauty. The late Catherine Marshall talked about going on a whale watch off Cape Cod. And she said they got on the boat, got on the whale watch, and she noticed a lady sitting near her that had a huge picnic basket. And as they're getting out there and they're seeing some of these amazing, beautiful creatures that are indescribable coming up out of the water, she happened to glance over at the lady sitting near her who had the big picnic basket. And she noticed the lady 
was so engrossed with her food, it probably was gross as well, she was so engaged and engrossed with her food that she wasn't looking up to see the whales or the beautiful, vast, limitless ocean and the sun and the clouds and the beauty around them because she was so absorbed with her feast that she had brought and not overwhelmed by the awesome created things or the breathtaking views of the ocean around her. Someone under the sound of my voice is like that woman, I think. I suspect there's someone in this room is you're thinking about what you need and maybe you're thinking and maybe even maybe even thinking about you know your next drink or your next fix I don't know I hope there's someone like that this here this morning because that's why we're here in this place we're here to show you the beauty of the Lord we're here to rescue you. We're here to see you have salvation for your life. We're here to see you be saved from that. But those things, those things, those addictions and those obsessions overtake our lives. So we, we, we're, we're like the woman on the whale watch. We're looking into our picnic basket instead of looking over the bow of the boat and seeing the beauty that's all around us. We're, not, we're, we're, missing, we're missing what God has for us. We're missing the beauty that God has. We're missing the, the friendships and the, and the wonderful people that God's brought into our life. And we're missing the beautiful music and we're missing the, beauty, the beautiful opportunities to serve other people. And we're, look, we're missing the beautiful thing that is even church. You, we even come to church on Sunday morning. We, we miss this beautiful thing that happens here on Sunday morning and we miss it, we miss it because we're preoccupied with our picnic basket. So if that's you this morning, I'm, I'm talking to you, and I want to help you. King Herod was too focused on the control of his kingdom to see the beauty of the Lord. He was too focused on his legacy to see the beauty of Christ, and the average citizen of Palestine was too focused on their own oppression and suffering to see the beauty of Christ. I I know what that's like, guys. I know what that's like to be so focused on my pain and to be so focused on my stress and to be so focused on my worries that I couldn't see the beauty of the Lord. And I thank God for interrupting my life with beauty. I thank God for interrupting my life with with people that are beautiful. Some of you are those people that interrupt my life. I think that interrupting my life with babies, that's why babies are important, I believe. Babies are so important. I mean this sincerely. Babies are so important because they interrupt our life with beauty. They, they do. Babies interrupt our life with beauty. I don't know how you, can, how you can stay down and be around a baby because they interrupt our life with beauty, plus, plus they're so helpless they need us in order to survive, so we have to forget about ourselves for a few moments. <laughs> you know. The average citizen of Palestine was too distracted. What's distracting you today? What's distracting you from the beauty of Christ? What's distracting you from the beauty that he's put all around you? What, what's so distracting you that you can't even see Christ in all those stories like the ones I talked about? That you can't even see Christ 
You can't even see the Lord and all the things that are going on around you. I hope I can lift your eyes today so you can see. Let me close with two passages. Luke 2, 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, and he was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple's courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to, for him, what the custom of the law, which was what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation which you have prepared in the light of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. There was also a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old and she had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then she was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave, th gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to who all were looking forward to the redemption of Israel, of Jerusalem. What were those two people doing? They were on a search for beauty. And when they saw it, they recognized it. So, may I ask you today, what did the wise men do? What did the shepherds do? They bowed to beauty. Will you bow to beauty? Herod wouldn't bow to beauty. He killed anything he couldn't control. See, there, some, some people think that an admiration of beauty is always in the arena of lust. But lust is not an attraction to beauty. Lust is a choice. Lust is not being moved by beauty. But lust is a choice that you will control beauty. And if you can't control it, you will kill it. You all know what that is. That lustful spirit that says, if I can't have you, I will kill you. I will control you. If I can't control you, I don't want anything to do with you. That's lust. Bowing to beauty is worship. Bowing to beauty is submission to beauty. Bowing to beauty is falling down and... and and expressing the awe that you feel and letting that expression of worship take you wherever it leads. I said it. I want, to, I want you to hear what I just said. Bowing down to beauty is bowing down before beauty and letting that expression of worship take you wherever it leads. For the Magi, that expression of worship took them away from Herod and back to Persia where they came from. It changed the direction of their life because they worshiped and they followed that worship wherever it led them. I'm challenging somebody right now to bow in worship, not worry about the next step, not worry about, well, what am I gonna do about this? What am I gonna do about that? I've got this problem, that problem, that relationship's in a mess. I have this addiction, that addiction. Forget it, forget it, forget it. Bow before worship, bow before beauty and let that take you wherever it leads because it's gonna take you to a good place. You're gonna like it. Like the commercial says, you're gonna like the way you look.
Second, will you let God help you be beautiful? Will you practice beauty? We naturally resist being helped to be beautiful because it's an admission that we're not beautiful. Will you let God help you be beautiful? And finally, will you let, and this is where it all starts, will you let God be beautiful to you? Will you let Jesus be beautiful to you? That's called grace. That's called a gift. And will you open your eyes and see the beauty all around you? I want our prayer partners to come. And I believe with all of my heart, I just wouldn't be surprised at all, and I should say it that way perhaps, that somebody will need to take a walk up here and let the prayer partners say, you know, I want to accept Christ. I want to cross the line of faith and bow before the beauty of the Lord. I want to bring all my problems and all my cares and all my burdens to someone who's bigger and more me and I want him than me and make me beautiful. Maybe you, by the way, you, you who are regulars, you visitors may not know that our prayer partners are here to pray with you about anything. So come up here to pray about anything that's on your mind. But I especially want you to come if you need to take that big gold step of faith and say, Christ, I'm bowing before you. You need prayer for sickness, healing, anything. Also, join us with communion. This is called response time at Bethany. Come and join us in response time. Be beautiful. God, I pray that there's some people in this room today and maybe just some parts of our hearts that we're just still searching and seeking. We're just still trying to force things to meet those needs that are deep in our heart. We, we've put idols in our lives that we're just trying to make them be what they cannot be. And maybe that's our kids, our spouse, our job, money, substances. And I pray, Lord, that there would be those of us in this room today who would say, you know what, I'm done trying to make those things compare to the beauty of Christ, trying to make those things meet those needs deep in my heart. And I recognize that anything on earth beautiful, anything I ever have ever seen in my life that had beauty is a picture of you. It's just a cheap replica version of you, Jesus. And you paid the ultimate price that we could have access, total access to the magnificence, beauty, perfection, that is our king. We look to you. We thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Christy. That's beautiful. And I, I want to, I want to, just finish uh, and, and uh, allow you to be dismissed by saying, what she just said is the idolatrous part of beauty. When we, when we try to replace God with other things, and we all do that. Our hearts are idol factories. We all know that. But. There's also another way that God works is, is you, need to re- you need to recognize what, is rep- what beautiful thing in your life is representative of his beauty. God will bring things into your life. And for every one of you, and some of you are dealing with some very difficult, ugly situations. But if you will open your eyes, there's something God has brought into your life. There's a person. Maybe it's a song you're going to hear on your uh, uh, Pandora today or or Spotify, a song. Look for something beautiful. The world is filled with beautiful things 
that are put there to remind you of the grandeur and splendor and beauty of God. Find something beautiful to focus on today. Find something beautiful in your life. Find something beautiful in this room. Find that beautiful person. Find that beautiful thought. Find that beautiful poem or that beautiful song or that beautiful piece of art, that beautiful sunset. I don't care what it is. I, 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 one, of, one of those times when I needed God, I sat on the ocean out of Cape Cod. I sat on the rocks and I began to look at the ocean and sing the song, which I won't sing for you now, the love of God. Go look up the lyrics of the song. You'll understand why it meant so much to me. But God, I saw the ocean and I didn't see the ocean. I saw God. I saw the love of God. So look around you today and see what God, see what God is using. God took a baby and put it in a manger. And the people that wreck went there had enough sense to know that's not just a baby. That's God. That's God. That's too beautiful to just be a baby. That's a God. God is speaking to you today because he loves you. And he's not going to quit because the service is over. He's going to speak to you all day and all week. God bless you. Have a wonderful day. Enjoy your Christmas shopping. Amen. <laughs>